Hello and welcome to Living in a Time of Dying, the podcast about living in a time of global pandemic, social upheaval and injustice, climate catastrophe, and mass extinction. This podcast is a companion to the eponymous book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope, co-authored by myself and Taoist mystic, Toltec I Ching master, wisdom teacher, and my dear friend, William Douglas Horden. I'm your host, Megan Elizabeth Tauk, a writer, philosopher, soul mentor, perpetual student, and mother of possums. In this podcast, I and my guests will engage with a selection of chapters from the book to explore the questions, the conundrums, paradox, and fractal edges of this thing called living. This is an invitation to commune and feel together the weight of these times with all the grief, rage, love, and hope that it arouses within us so that together we may dream a new world into being. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode two of the Living in a Time of Dying podcast. I'm here with my friend, Juan Lube, whom I have known for many years now, since we met over a decade ago in astrology school. But before Juan and I begin, I want to offer listeners a brief summary of the chapter we'll be discussing today. We'll be discussing chapter 19 in the print version of the book. This chapter is written by William Douglas Horden, my co-author, and titled enigmatically, Flower and Song. In this chapter, William engages with the Mesoamerican Nahuatl diphrasism, Flower and Song, which poetically refers to the deep love and appreciation of the beauty of the moment, as well as simultaneously the potent grief for its passing. This paradoxical, confusing, but universally relatable experience of love and grief yoked together is at the very core of the project of living in a time of dying. But this concept of flower and song is not only relevant to, or because of, climate catastrophe. Because in truth, we are all always faced with this experience of love and grief for each moment, each relationship, each life that is uniquely precious and inevitably transitory. Flower refers to this paradox of love and grief, beauty and decay, always yoked together. We rejoice in ecstatic wonder at each precious moment, each being whom we love, knowing, at some level, that nothing lasts forever. Each moment must come to an end, and every being that we love, including our own precious sacred lives, will inevitably die and pass away. Song, on the other hand, refers to what we do, how we choose to participate in this transitory dance of life, knowing all the while that it is finite. To this end, William asks, what is in front of me, and how will I treat it? In other words, what is in front of me asks of us to be fully alive and present in each unfolding moment, and with each being with whom we are in relationship in any given moment. Meanwhile, how will I treat it? asks us to bring honest and sincere intention and care to each of those moments, to each of those relationships, throughout the unfolding of our life. 
the one calls us to attention, not only in the military sense, but in the sense of a deep, reverent presence. And the other calls us to intention, in the sense of a deep, respectful caring. So with that, I'd like to introduce my guest for this episode of the podcast, my friend Juan Lube, who, again, I said, I've, we've known each other for many years now, but we haven't spoken in a, a while. And Juan, you were actually the first person who I invited to come on this podcast when it was just a, a glimmer of a dream in the recesses of my mind. So I'm really glad to, to be here with you. Wow. Thank you, Megan. I'm honored to, to be here with you. Yeah. And I just want to invite you to introduce yourself in whatever way it feels meaningful for you to do so for our listeners. Sure. Thank you. Um, well, as Megan mentioned, my name is Juan Lube. I was born in Puerto Rico, where my people are from, and they've been there for many hundreds of years. Uh, and, and before that or beyond that, some of them came from the Pyrenees Mountains and the Iberian Peninsula, among other, other places. Um, I live and I farm in Cayocono land, um, the people of the swamp. And um, I spend most of my days stewarding baby plants and baby trees. And um, with my friends in our project, which is called Edible Acres. And right now I'm sitting at the cottage where I live with my partner, uh, looking over the pond. It's right by where we live. And uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you, Megan. Awesome. Thanks, Juan. Um, I like to start our episodes just with a little bit of a check-in. And this can be as open-ended as you want it to be or as it needs to be. But in, in keeping with kind of the theme of the chapter that we're here to discuss, Flower and Song, um, my cue for our check-in is, you know, how are you inhabiting your life how are you treating each moment as precious? What are you tending? Mm. Right now here, um, we've had a, a uncommonly warm fall into winter time. And um, the work that I do is uh, especially busy in the fall. So we, as a, as a nursery, as a plant nursery, we ship plants in the fall and uh, it's a real push for us. So I've noticed over the past couple of years how during this time is when I just get so tired and and um, and life just it's like a like a sprint marathon. We've been we've been joking about it as a as a as just a real hard push on on the bodies. And we you know we have our hands constantly in frozen water and cleaning plants and digging up. Uh, trees is just a, an intense time and so I've been thinking a lot about this slowing down and this um, uh, just deepening into winter or quieting into winter and, and how does that recharge us for for the spring ahead um, so yeah interestingly enough I've you know my my I don't know whatever Protestant part of my of my psyche has been like how do I fix this and it's like how how I'm gonna work hard to relax that kind of vibe. So I've been really paying attention to to the slowdown and how to, how can I uh, nourish and you know just take time to be quiet and and be gentle with myself. Mm. Yeah. Incidentally, are you familiar 
yet with um, the work of Trisha Hersey, the Knapp Bishop. She so <laughs> no, she. No, but I like the sound of it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really I'm really into this. She has been doing her work for a long time now as the self-proclaimed Knapp Bishop. She, um, she is a theologist, and she just recently like very recently released her first book called Rest is Resistance. And so she's currently <laughs> doing like, um, you know, the podcast circuit. She was on um, on Being with Krista Tippett. She was on um, Leila Saad's podcast, Becoming a Good Ancestor, which I recommend anyone listening to literally just pause this podcast, go listen to that episode of uh, <laughs> Becoming a Good Ancestor, and then come back and you can finish this because it's such... Her, she. She's it's really brilliant work, and it's really about this kind of anti-capitalist. She's a black woman, of course, so she's also coming at it f from that history of you know American slavery, um, and which is also not history, right? It's actually right right now, both literally in some uh, ways in this country, but also just the ways that particularly black and brown bodies are just used for labor. Mm. Um, and so her work, I think, is is really radical um, in terms, you know, the way that I think about it in terms of living into the future that we want and that we deserve, living into a way of existing in our bodies and in relationship with each other um, mm. that is careful, you know, that is full okay, of care. Okay. Um, you know, and I'll just it, also in response to your check in, if I may, um, a, a brief personal story, you know, uh, a decade, 15 years, around the time that we met, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was only just beginning to farm. Um, and I was doing that as a, as, a, as a source of healing. And I remember finding it so um, really healing to, to, to work in the spring, summer and fall, and then mm -hmm. rest in the winter. It was it was to, to actually live in time with the seasons. It was like it, I, I reconnected to a part of myself, maybe an animal part of myself or an ancient part of myself or just, a, you know, like it was a more cyclical way of living in the world. And yet, as I've spoken about in other episodes of this podcast, farming is incredibly hard work. It can it mm. really like and I think particularly the ways that we do it now Definitely. Right. Um, are very kind of capitalist. They're very, they, you know, we can really drive ourselves into the dirt. So um, I honor and so appreciate the work that y'all do at Edible Finger Lakes, cool. tending, tending the little, the little ones um, and sending them out to people to tend on their own. Um, and I hope that you get a good deal of rest now in the wintertime. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the interesting bit is uh, so since we we work to share plants with folks uh, throughout the fall, but it, sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's hard to edge out a little bit of room to actually plant for ourselves for fun. Mm -hmm. So that that has been an interesting thing. It's like, yeah, um, it'd be really nice to rest, but it's also really exciting and really fun to to think of the prospect of actually getting to plant the trees that that we steward and mm. that we help grow so it's a the rest will come i i i know it's around the corner so it, it feels feels really good in that way and it also feels great to just be spreading so much food and diversity and 
and um, resiliency around around my community. And you know, the I love what you said around the the farming, the way it's done right now, because you know it, it need not be that way, it, and that's mm. it's hard to it's hard to see like young farmers like going into deep, deep, deep debt to buy a tractor and to have access to land, which is hard enough. Um, and then having these very, very slim margins where it almost doesn't make any sense to, yeah, you know, but. Yeah. And, and yeah. Th so this clearly we could get into a discussion that would be a whole other episode for possibly a whole other podcast. Um, not that it's not all related, um, but yeah, some it's, this is a, a an area of both of our lives that intersects and we have a tremendous um, experience with and feelings about for mm -hmm. sure. I think that, you know, community um, is, has to be a, a big part of the way that we farm and grow. And you have such mm -hmm. a lovely little community with, with edible acres. And yet, you know, you're still kind of a skeleton crew as it were. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's tremendous, um, opportunity for learning and growing in terms of how we build community in farming communities and how we, I, I think, I think we kind of need to relearn in a lot of ways, just how to be with each other and how to negotiate time and space and, mm. and our relationships. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about like Soul Fire Farm and, um, Oh God, the Sylvan Aqua Farms down in Virginia, Ooh. who I think are offering really amazing models for how to hopefully farm in more sustainable ways, both for the land and also for the humans mm -hmm. that are doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love to yeah. name. I love to name drop as much as possible in my podcast, just to like, <laughs> just to like water all of the seeds that other people are planting. So mm, that's beautiful. a note to the listeners to check out Edible Acres, Sylvan Aqua Farms, Soulfire Farms, Trisha Hersey, et cetera. <laughs> I'll keep doing that. Um, nice. So for myself, um, you know, it's interesting you talking about what would it be like to plant some of these trees that you tend and then send off to other people. And, you know, I recently moved on from my farm um, oh. of the last 10 years, which is a process for me, you know, externally and internally as well. Um, and so I'm on a new piece of land uh, in mm -hmm. Nipmuc territory um, in Western Massachusetts. And just like building the relationship with just this little piece of the land on the side of the hillside as it slopes into the uh, Deerfield River Valley. And mm -hmm. I'm really in love with this piece of land. I feel really, really grateful for it every, every day. Um, and I'm just starting to put things in the ground. So I planted two um, fruit and quince um, the other mm. week. I had to wait for my septic to get redone. So this is why I'm planting in November. But I also <laughs> just built my first two raised beds. And I, and I just today had a delivery of loam and compost that I'm going to fill in the beds and plant in my garlic, which is garlic that I brought from my farm wow. in upstate New wow. York that I've been that I've been tending and keeping the seed of this garlic for over a decade now. And Ooh. it's really this garlic is really, really precious to me. And I'm so excited to get it to build my beds and get it into the ground because I feel like once 
once I have garlic in the ground here, then it's like I've landed. It's like, okay, I'm home. So one of the things that I'm tending is is my new my new gardens and my garlic. Um, you know, I, I also think I've been feeling a lot about um, the preciousness of time and the fle- mm. the fleetingness of time. Um, you know, both as I get older and we're mm. basically the same age. So that means we've basically both... We're the same age, aren't we? You're 40 now, yes? Yep. Yeah, okay, welcome. Um, and as I watch my parents get older as well, and, um, you know, I've I've lived through the full lifespans of many pets and beloved creatures, and every moment feels precious. And I know that that sounds like trite, like people say that all the time, every moment feels precious, but it feels feels precious like water Mm. it feels precious like every drop of the ocean which is what Mm. literally gives this planet life and and i also i I also I'll, i'll say that i also sit with a fair amount of grief obviously as i watch time pass and i prepare for the future which i tend to be a fairly anxious future-oriented person but also as I this feels really kind of vulnerable for me to say out loud but as I as I sit in the life that I have which is a I'm, I'm very grateful for the life that I have and also sometimes I'm deeply sad in my life and I and I think is this the is this the way that I would want you know like particularly when I'm you know, sitting alone in my house and like watching too much Netflix. I'm like, is this really what I want to be doing with my time? Like this time is precious. And sometimes the answer is absolutely yes. Sometimes the answer is like, hell yes, I want to be like, I just want to be like maxed out on the couch watching this show. And this is like the fullest expression of me right now, my life, right? That's, I'm, I'm good with that. And then other times it just feels like I'm just filling space. I'm just passing the time until my next meal or I go to bed or like <laughs> the day is over. And so... You know, there's some contradiction and complexity in that. And I just want to name that there's like deep love and also a certain sense of grief as I as I relate to my experience of time. Mm. But I also wanted to, you know, in bringing in this this chapter, which was written by William, who's a friend of both of ours and a teacher of both of ours. Um, this is kind of the first time, other than just in passing mentioning him as my co-author, that I've really gotten a chance to talk about him and his work. And so I just want to invite him into this space um, through us vicariously, and hopefully he will be on this podcast at some point as just mm-hmm. an open conversation, you know, like he does. Um, yeah. But I, I wanted to just ask you, you know, how did you... Um, come to know William or come to his work? I have a feeling it's a pretty similar answer to mine, but, um, but I'll let you tell your story. Sure, sure. Um, well, I, as Megan mentioned, I met William during astrology school, which was called um, Heaven and Earth. We workshopped the name. It was something like Heaven and Earth School of Astrology and Poetry and Myth and Life. And <laughs> you you reined it in, I'm schools. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but our teacher, our astrology teacher, Linda Ruth, had connected with William via his book, uh, the his and Marta's book, the Toltec I Ching, and um, at that time. 
a critical mass was gathering around Ithaca around uh, having him over to to teach. And um, during that time, the astrology school was hosted in my house where I used to live. I, there was a there was a house in the property where I I was living in, and I lived in a yurt in the woods. Um, but astrology school was essentially housed in that in that piece of land. And William came over to teach, and and it was it was amazing, as as you know, uh, he is he brings all kinds of trickster wisdom and all sorts of other things to to the to the room. Uh, and I just have this very clear memory when it was time for him to to head back to Oregon, and um, you know, Linda and I were like kind of saying goodbye, kind of being super mopey, and. Uh, and he just kind of looked at us dead in the eyes and said, I'm not leaving. Mm. And he's, he's still around and, mm. you know, he's, he's held to his word. He and, and Linda have been working on a, a project for at least, you know, what, like 12 or 13 years. So we've been in close contact. Um, he, he comes every year and spends some time here and, um, just continuously, generously shares um, just his experience and, and what he has to offer, which is vast. You know, it's vast in every direction. I don't think I've met many people that could just rap on anything, you know, mm -hmm. like you can talk with him about uh, like um, Tarahumara uh, cosmology. You can talk with him about, you know, samurai movies and um, just pretty much anything, anything in between. Yeah. We would, um, it was, I guess, in 2019, before the pandemic, that summer that he was up, and I would, I would go out um, to the compound, as they call it, and, and sit with him for sometimes up to three hours at a time. And this was also while I was going through my graduate program in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness. And so we would also talk about, you know, you know, I mean, he can talk about the Greek philosophers, like, yeah, his, his, his wisdom and his, um, experience and knowledge just it's it goes in like you said a lot of different directions and and also I, I always you know I can um, I think of myself as kind of a fiery person I think maybe we've talked about this you know that that I, I talk I talk a lot I kind of can talk fast and there's a, there's a stillness and a and a slowness to William's cadence to his energetic oh. signature too, so that there can be all of this exchange of ideas. And there's also like, it almost feels like the brakes, like putting the brakes on, like, let's just mm. actually be in this moment and feel what's true. And that was often a reminder that I got just from sitting in conversation with him too. Beautiful. And I guess I just want to open, open up the conversation um, around this chapter and this concept of flower and song. Um, mm -hmm. and, and just ask, you know, how do you relate to or engage with this, with this concept and its paradox of holding love and grief simultaneously? Oh. You know, uh, flower and song in, in some ways gave words and gave a, a structure to, to something that I think we've all, we've all felt in in some at some point in our lives and 
um, I I have come to see it as a rather than this um, noun, rather than this object or this uh, this static thing, to to think of it as a skill or as a mm -hmm. as a verb, as a doing. Mm -hmm. And I've just been so uh, just baffled by by the 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 scope and the breadth of of what it of what the, that simple phrase of flower and song what it holds and what it can convey and you know i was just really into when i was doing a lot of pottery i was really into the japanese potters and um there's these these ideas that that japanese potters talk about like wabi-sabi um which you know in the the one second explanation is how uh, perfection belongs to to divinity and and how what we create um, is always um, branded by some some slight imperfection that that makes it ours and makes it human uh, another thing that the potters talk about is monono aware uh, which it translates to the pathos of things, but it essentially, to me, it, it maps so well to flower and song. You know, it's that, it's the feeling you get when the cherry blossoms start dropping um, from the tree or um, just these moments of, uh, you know, awareness of the, the uh, transience of life, you know. Mm. Uh, and this, it, this is not just in Eastern philosophy. There's also in, in the West since you know roman times we've had this uh, memento mori in art and in life and it's just this idea that in, in all the great works there is a reminder of um that that death is always you know a hair's breadth away from from our faces and not in a macabre way it's just that uh, uh, an understanding of the importance of uh, keeping that knowledge close to our breast you know and um I think that that's one of the beautiful things I find of uh, flower and song is that it, it maps, you know, to closely with our humanity. It's not just a Western thing. It's not a, a thing of, you know, Central America. It's not, it's just a Central North and South America, I should say. Um, it's, it's a, it's something that's very human ultimately. And I've been exploring and thinking about what it means to be human and whether that's a, an inherent thing or an achieved thing. And why is there a distinction between the word human and the word humane? And um, so, so flower and song is just a, another component, giving another, another way of thinking about, about these big thoughts that, that I, that I've been engaging with for a while now. And I should say that, all that rap about human versus humane, and, and this comes from my teacher, Stephen Jenkinson, mm. uh, who, who really has given a lot of, um, uh, was given words and um, just structure to, to a lot of these ideas in my mind. Mm. Yeah, thanks for naming, naming his work and bringing him in. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have so many, so many things are coming in. My grandmother actually, my maternal grandmother uh, just popped in also, which is odd because she doesn't like that's never happened before. But when you when you were talking about uh, wabi sabi and the the 
the imperfection in the perfection. That's something I first heard, not from her, but in in reference to her. Um, so I was like, oh, mm. hi there. <laughs> hi, Grammy Kay. Um, she's been gone a long time now. Um, but also just this piece about holding death close in a certain sense. Like, you know, and I think so much about the project of the book, Living in a Time of Dying, is is actually, um, you know, we talk a lot about dying and apocalypse and but it's it's really about how to live. It's really a question of how do we actually live when dying is happening, when dying yeah. is close. How do we continue? How do we hold dying close and then also continue to wake up every day, which takes a lot of a lot of courage. And you know, one thing that came to mind, I remember um, one time I was confronted with the death of a pet in a very um, uh, sudden way it was that was quite excruciating. Yeah. Um, and in the in immediate aftermath of, of what happened, I remember the chaos that was in me and feeling like I don't know how to contain this feeling. I don't know how to, like I can't, like that thing that happens when someone is suddenly gone like they were just there and then and then they're gone and you're like i can't make sense of this i don't know how to compute this mm. and it creates it for me in that moment it created like an anxiety and a panic and i was like i don't know what to do with this this is too much and then a voice came in and it said make it sacred like mm. what what do you do when you, your brain when your human brain cannot compute you make it mm. sacred and I think about that in the concept of the the latter part of Flower and Song, the song part, right? So the flower oh. part is really about, like you were saying, like what happens when, when the cherry blossoms fall. And I, I was also thinking about every year, I love lilacs. I've loved lilacs since I was a child. And I wait all year until the lilac season. And also I will say the privet season, which is, has become a later favorite of mine later in my life. <laughs> and when the lilacs burst and you can smell and it's like a warm May day and they like the lilac smell is just like rich in the air. And I'm just like, I, I love it so much. Like I have so much, I feel so full with the love of lilacs. And I'm also sitting there with like, I only have so many, like they're only around for so long. And then they turn brown this past year. It got super, super hot here in May. And I, I literally, I went to herbalism class. It was all about lilacs and we were like being with the lilacs and I was so excited because I have so many lilacs on my new property. Like really, mm -hmm. I was very pleased with my, the prior owners of this, of this land. Um, and I got home from the class and all of my lilacs had turned brown and died because it was so hot that day. Oh, wow. And it was, I was just like, oh, oh, like this, like we had just been talking about like the love and the grief of lilacs and I came home and they, and it was over and that's it for the year. And in my macabre way, there's also a little piece of my brain that's always like, am I going to make it till next lilac season? Like, because I'm also like, I'm someone that walks with my own death close all the time. I'm yeah. I like, I think I sit with it a lot. I dream with it a lot. I, I think about it a lot. And so there's always a part of me that's like, I hope that I make it through to another, to see the lilacs again, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but so this 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 the concept of flower and flower and song has to do with that experience of loving something so being so ecstatic with joy mm. at the existence of whatever, right? And then holding at the same time the knowledge that it's only temporary, right? That it passes mm. away. And then as far as I understand it, the song piece, which um which William translates as poetry too, is like how how we treat it, how we treat the lilacs or how we treat each other, or how we treat our own precious lives, knowing that it's finite, loving it and knowing that it ends. And so I think about it as that practice, right? The verb rather than the noun, the verb or praxis of making sacred, of singing to that thing that is beloved and transitory. Mm. Beautiful. You know, Martin Brechtel talks about Martin Brechtel, another in, incredible human in, in the this same lineage that we that we're talking about. But the way he he talks about flower and song, in the way that I understand him, I don't want to commit him too much, but um, he talks about grief and praise. And it's you know there's there's lots of recordings of him um, talking about grief and praise and there's a, a book now called uh, the smell of rain on dust where he expounds on on grief and praise a little bit um, but he the you know the the catchy bit is uh, he says uh, praise is grieving what you've got. And grief is praising what you've lost. Mm. And, you know, I encourage everyone to just uh, mm. go find a Martin Prechtel book uh, somewhere. And it's just, just beautiful. It's poetry. It's a, it's story. It's fun. It's a, it's, it's a lot of things um, and a lot of storytelling, but the, the really the really beautiful part to me is that everything that comes out of his mouth is he, he talks with grief, even if he's not talking about grief. Mm. And that just comes through so clearly. Yeah, you actually many years ago told me to to check out Martin Prechtel. And I, I have to confess, I haven't done it yet. But he's come up, his name has come up in other places. He's like one of those things that, like if I could, going back to time <laughs> and my own relationship with like time scarcity. Um, if I could like pause time and just read all of the books that I want to read and then like start going again with this life thing that where the, where the moments and the seconds keep passing us by so quickly. Yeah. Martine Prechtel's on that list. So I will get there friend. I, I promise. And thank you for, for bringing, for bringing him in. I mean, that concept of, and I don't want to mangle it. You just said it of, of, grief being the praise of something you've lost and praise being the grief of what you have makes me think too about the image of the yin and yang, right? The Daiji Do, which, which William uh, being a Taoist references in relation to, you know, he kind of ties together his whole, his whole thing. The Toltec I Ching is about tying together, you know, ancient um, Chinese wisdom, the, the, the Taoist tradition with the Nahuatl and Mesoamerican tradition. Um, so he also brings in the yin and yang in yeah, in this yeah. um, and that in that way that there's not a, a sharp distinction between what we're doing 
you know, there's not, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's I, like I, I talk about, it's not a half moon cookie, you know, like the Daiji do necessarily turns into each other and has the eye of its opposite so that, you know, this sort of goes to the, to the question about contradiction. You know, William asks in the book, how do we contain our own contradiction? And mm-hmm. I think this speaks to it too, is that we are always doing both at once. Mm-hmm. Um we're always, um, and I, maybe maybe it requires intention on our part, or maybe it doesn't. You know, like maybe we hold the contradiction and the paradox, even if we're not aware of it, and that's just the the way, as it were, of, <laughs> of the world. Um, I guess I want to ask the question about you know what in your estimation, does flower and song have to teach us about the times that we're living in right now, right? As we're facing, as we're really witnessing climate change, climate catastrophe, climate chaos happening in real time. It's not theoretical anymore as it was when you and I were younger. It's it's really happening. Um, You know, we just lived through a a pandemic and for many people, we're still in that pandemic. yeah, and all the various permutations of of grief and loss and the love of what is worth protecting. I'm just curious how you sit with this concept of flower and song in relation to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I I'm thinking, or what what's coming right now around this, uh, like thinking of flower and song in the context of the world or or our culture, whatever this thing that we're living through. Um, whatever we could call it, but um, it reminds me of um, a, again of Stephen Jenkinson saying, I, "I have, I wish I remember exactly when or where he referred to this, but he said something like, the dying culture needs you as more as much as your dying mother needs you, mm. and you know it's not the time to jump ship, mm. um, and that's just such a." strong image you know to think to to connect those two those two moments um and and ultimately if that's if that's um if we are to proceed as if we are needed as if we matter in the world right um then it's clear to me that that whatever we do and whatever we're doing is is not necessarily for us. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, maybe in a few generations things turn around, and and maybe this dying culture that are, that maybe this dying culture can can feed whoever's there at the end of of whatever is uh, of whatever comes of this. Um, but I I truly don't and and. <laughs> You know what? Most of the teachers that I've encountered are not in the uh, Tennessee Steps business. So the what next piece, the what to do next seems to always be the the uh, confounding question, right? And I think most of the folks that 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 I trust around these things could agree that that a, a place to start is with our broken hearts you know um, 
give give your broken heart a seat of honor in your life rather than than trying to trying to fix it you know and let that broken heart help keep you faithful to your humanity or you know your humanness mm. yeah and and know that that it's for it's not for you you know that's that's something that's something about my line of work that that just uh, I live in it. I live in the in the fact that every time I plant a hickory, I'm probably not going to harvest it, you know. But it, but I know that it's not for me, and it's not even for for my quote unquote grandkids. It's like for everybody. It's for mm. the squirrels who are doing the same work. It's for um, it's for the other plants. It's for the forest, right? It's there's just a lot of participants in this whole in this whole Michigas of, of life. The piece about giving your broken heart a seat of honor, like I have tears in my eyes. Mm. And that deserves a moment of stillness. And I also laugh because you know, you're evoking that paradox of if if we are to live our lives as if we matter, then we realize that it's not about us, right? <laughs> it's like that's the contradiction that that is in in this, you know. Um, and I there's so much um, there's so much sweetness and a kind of freedom and liberation in that in both in in holding both of those things i mm. matter and it's not about me but i matter mm. and it's not about me right yeah yeah i love that yeah that that village mindedness is not it's not something that i had the the benefit of of growing into well in a in a strange hybridized um shifting way in puerto rico that was that was the case but it's just so clear to me that that community mindedness and that village mindedness is so much at the at the center of of life you know yeah hmm. yeah to go back to our check-in you know two of the other i made a list of the things that i am tending that are precious to me mm. you know and i spoke a little bit about time and but uh, but part of that is i also feel like i'm tending the future you know, in these times, you know, and I'm a, I have like a pretty heavy Saturn in my chart. <laughs> and, um, and, and I tend to be, you know, kind of serious and doom and gloom. And I always used to say that um, I'm also a big history buff. I like to look into the past. Mm. Um, like I, if I could have any like superpower, if I had like a genie that was like, grant, you know, I'll grant you a wish. I would probably wish that I could either travel, that I could travel through time. And people always ask me, well, does that mean traveling to the future? And I'm like, no, 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 I want nothing to do with the future. I only want to see what's, what's already happened, right? And, and I'm shifting that a little bit, or at least I don't know if I'd want to travel to the future, but I want to dream the future into being, right? Which mm. is a phrase that I use a lot in the book. And I mm. recognize that as a, like a co-creative process that, we're do that I am a part of, that we are doing mm. together. We're doing it here right now in this podcast mm -hmm. and we're always doing that i mean that's what that's just what the world that's like that's what the universe is is it's the becoming of the moment before um mm. 
But how do we bring our intention and attention to it, um, to that process, to that participatory engagement, right? Um, So yeah, so one of the things that that I feel like I'm tending in myself is this this imaginal, this imaginary landscape of the future and what it could be, what maybe I wish for it to be, but I recognize that I only, I can only wish for so much. Like my wishes are little in, in comparison to what they could be woven with everyone else's wishes and hopes. Beautiful. And so what I want to do is I want to we like I want to pull in other people's wishes and hopes and I want to weave them with mine and then I want my wishes and hopes to be weaved outward so that we create this like web of becoming. And um oh I don't know if you can hear that but my cat's feeder <laughs> just went off. Um and then that becomes that becomes what is. That becomes right. what we inherit and hopefully what we deserve. Hopefully what we, the collective we, which is not only human, right? Hmm. Um, and another thing that I'm tending are my relationships, particularly my friendships and my community as I've, you know, moved to a different place. Um, and, and largely I moved to this place to be with friends, both old and new. And so um, trying to be intentional and also like push back against some of the like isolationary ways that I've grown up and lived my life and say, actually, like, no, I want to figure out how to tend and build community because it is, um, you know, going back to our discussion about farming, right? Like, none of us survives alone. Hmm. We survive because of each other and we thrive because of each other. Yeah. I love that you're using the the image of weaving, you know, because um, I know very little about it, but um, but I'm interested in it. And I was trying to under, understand like the warp and the weft and the weave and all these things, but it's um it's an image that again I I think I um, comes from the Orphan Wisdom School of, at Stephen Jenkinson's of um, this idea that like everything so clearly everything that feeds life has to die right like through everything's death life is fed which is uh, why it's uh daunting to think how how much we um kick and scream at the idea of of uh dying at some point in the in the future but um this there's this beautiful image with weaving that uh, if the waft is those um, vertical uh, threads, right, and and then they disappear as you as the weave comes through, as those horizontal mm-hmm. lines start coming through, and that 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 feels exactly like um, the image of like if if I look at my life through that image of the 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 warp and the weave, that I hope I'm saying those terms right. I, like I said, I know very little about it. But if I look at my life in that pattern, then my ancestors are clearly that that warp, that mm. invisible canvas upon my life, upon which my life is woven into, right? And 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 it's what it's the scaffolding that allows my life to be. So that has been my one of my new <laughs> strange prayers. You know, may may I be good good warp for. Mm 
for whoever comes next you know may i may i feed um in whichever way the whatever is happening or whatever is 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 coming next and that's you know that i like that prayer because it requires very little of of uh it requires everything but at the same time it requires very little of me right like i don't have to hope for anything i just have to like engage with life in a in a mm. good way right now beautifully said beautifully said that there's something deeply anti-capitalist or anti-industrial about that too like i don't have to do or be anything specific mm. to be that 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 solid background that solid uh, foundation for the future mm. i just have to actually live my life as fully it, 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 with as much full engagement yeah i think that's a kind of a beautiful place to to wrap up i did want to throw at you one and this might make it into the podcast or not mm -hmm. um but i but I'm just curious if I throw mm -hmm. at you a wild card, if there's anything else from the book that, because mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't talked to you about the book since it came out. And so I'm just curious sure. if there were any other parts in this chapter, or out of this chapter that you found interesting or moving that you'd like to bring in. Yeah. Um, you know, Megan, I like the, I think the, the most moving parts for me and the, the, the most engaged i was with with the book i mean the the content is amazing but like whenever you started telling the stories about your life i was just like just so full you know it's, it was mm. just uh, it's amazing like when you talk about being super busy and and just having a ton of different places to be and things to do and sitting with your goat in the middle of the pasture with your dying favorite goat you know and the way you the way you slowly, I don't know what the word is. It's not move through. It's a, it's almost like a keening. It's a, mm. here it is. Okay. It feels like when you talk about your, you're sitting with your dying goat or, or when you talk about Matt flowers, it's a keening. That's the, the, the right word for it. And it's, um, and it's that keening in, in, book form is something that doesn't feel like it's especially common or, or um, it doesn't show up very often in my life these days. And when it does, it wakes something up in me that, that I may have trouble getting to. So, um, what Mark, you know, this is a uh, Martin, practical thing but he talks about um how in the village in, where he lived in uh, in guatemala uh, they had these uh professional um said professional criers or professional weepers and and they would they would come to the place where that was needed and and uh, and they would hear what was going on and before you know it everyone in the house would just be move to that and 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 those tears would come even for for the hardest of us that that um those of us who, who find it hard to to access that in ourselves and um 
that's what those chapters did for me. You know, it, it's a, it's really like how how those stories and those shares really um, woke up in me my own grief. You know, and and how they really uh, catharsis is such a trite thing to to try to describe it, but they really. I don't know. I'm grateful for those moments where that that bring me to tears or that move me in a way that that I can't get to on my own every time, you know. Mm. Yeah. I'm I'm deeply grateful for that reflection, Juan, in this moment. Thank you. Um Keening, what a great word, huh? What I a wish great- that was still in the thing i i feel i feel very seen in this moment in a way that like and i feel like i'm seeing myself through your eyes in a way that i haven't seen myself too and i'm i'm really grateful for that because i feel like i really long for weeping and i and i long for it in a in a community i long for group weeping like I would love to just be in a group where we are silently weeping together and I know that that sounds really weird <laughs> but it feels kind of needed you know and <laughs> and I love that 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 is what's coming through or what came through for you in those parts of of my work because now it makes me feel almost like maybe I'm maybe I'm a professional keener you know like a professional crier like maybe that's what I'm here to do and I can kind of like dive into it in a way that I've been holding myself back because you know like it's a weird thing to do in this culture so um so I can kind of hold back (laughs) hold back yeah yeah thank you I'm so so grateful um, to you for coming on the podcast and for being able to have this conversation. I can't wait to listen back to it because um, mm. I know that there it's there was a lot in there and and some really beautiful, beautiful pieces of wisdom from you that I'm really excited to sit with at length. Um, so thank mm. you so much um, on behalf of everyone listening for sharing sharing your wisdom with us. And I'm just really grateful that you know we're in each other's orbits astrology mm-hmm. pun but i'm ching um <laughs> <laughs> and that we've known each other for for so long it's it's yes. lovely to have you yes. in my life you too megan <sighs> all right well thank you everyone for listening to episode two of the living in a time of dying podcast take care Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us in this episode of the Living in a Time of Dying podcast. If you are moved by the material discussed here, you can read or listen to more in the eponymous book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope, coming soon both in print and audio from booksellers everywhere. And if you want to hear more, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts in order to be updated when new episodes drop. You can also find out more about my work at soulmentor.org. Until next time, remember, you are an enfoldment of the universe, showing care to itself. Everything is God. Live well. Die easy. In Love and Rage, I'm your host, Megan Elizabeth Tauk. 
take care and be well. 